from Sportsnet Studios in downtown Toronto. This is Free Association on the Sportsnet Podcast Network. I'm J.D. Bunkus. He is Donovan Bennett. Does that feel like an intense intro to you? That sounded so ridiculous. You couldn't even finish. I want to say the Sportsnet Radio Network because I do radio shows, and so I got jammed up in it. I probably should have practiced. You could do it again if you like. Nah, this sounds good. They call me One Take Jake, and so I got to be true to my form. I got to do it in the one take. How are you today, sir? I'm good, thank you. You have a good Halloween? I'm a grown-ass man, so it was just another day. You don't do any parties? No. You dress up your baby? Um, yeah, it has a, a couple onesie costumes. You still say it? Um, I guess. <laughs> I didn't, didn't realize it. When does it become he? I don't put pronouns on my baby. I will let him choose his own he or she's own. Or Jim or Zer. Or they. Or they. My baby is gender fluid until they can choose. No, I was actually, I was thinking of the answer, but also I was thinking how much time would elapse before you said anything about basketball at Raptors? Right now. The Raptors, they lost to the how Bucks. Many t- how much time was that? Okay, that's low, that's low for you. It's Things like seem longer to you. I just like people want to know about your personal life. They want to know what you do. They do multiple ones. Actually, uh, no, I think we should. Have like, you ever read the podcast reviews of the show? I, Have you ever gone to iTunes? One of the first things I was taught in getting into this business was don't read the comments. Whoever told you that is a liar because our podcast is a five star review. Go and review it. Do an added thing. Tell Donovan. The truth about how you feel about hearing about his personal life. This is a PSA. You can tell me, but I'm not listening. <laughs> Amo, yeah. what is the most common thing we get in our reviews? They want to know more about Donald's That's right. They love the banter. From your burner account. The people land here for the banter. Uh, they stay for the high-level basketball talk. So, yeah. the rap- They could ask for more banter in the comments. It would not be a wise mode of communication because I'm not going to read them. What if I pay a skywriter to write all the reviews in the sky. Will you read them then? No, I don't even like, what if your first, your son's first words are dad, dad, please read the reviews. That would be a sentence. No first words. <laughs> um, even mentions like when people mention things. I rarely care. Like wow. Water off a duck's back. You're kind of a badass. You're a lot more badass than me. I'm very sensitive. I read the comments, I read the reviews, I read the tweets, and they affect me. I won't lie. I'm the Kevin Durant. I'm Kevin Durant if Kevin Durant just admitted that it hurt his feelings and had no talent. So you know you're about to get a bunch of mentions because now people know that you read them and that you care. Oh, man, I read them. The worst part is, is that now our YouTube manager, Drew, sends me screen caps sometimes of people ripping me in the YouTube comments. I'm like, that's the one place that I don't read the comments. I stay off of YouTube because I generally accepted... I don't know, in 20... When did YouTube come out? It was like the YouTube comments were basically just... I want to say 06, 05 or 06. I mean, I guess yeah, YouTube comments just were the from day one, just the, the place where hatred just spawns. It's a cesspool of hatred. So it's like, don't show me those. And yet he does. So I can't avoid anything now. What, I, what minute are we at right now? Nice. Okay, there we go. The, now we're in it, baby. Now we're in it. Now we're in the cesspool. All right. When we put the tags on like the topics, like... Can we just put when the basketball talk is going to start? Right now. Thank you. My segue was one thing you could not ignore. February 14th, 2005, YouTube was founded. Wow. Continue. That seems to me like yesterday. I'm so old. The one thing you could not ignore on social media the past week 
was the discourse surrounding Giannis Antetokounmpo. And as John Hollinger described it on Good Show, the radio show that I host for Sports M590, The Fan, the connective tissue between the Milwaukee Bucks superstar and the Toronto Raptors organization. And I want to read the quote that he gave us on the radio when we had him on as a guest, because I thought it was a pretty good one. We had him on. He wrote an article about Giannis being linked and Giannis being a target of Masai Ujiri's a couple off seasons right now from now. Hollinger on Good Show, I asked him, is this just everyone's going after Giannis or because that's kind of smart business to go after, you know, the best free agent that's going to be available unless Kawhi Leonard opts out? Or is this, there's more to it than that? He said, first of all, I think any team that sees itself with cap space in 2021, like, who should we go after? Like, obviously, (laughs) this is the first guy on the list. I do think there's a little more connecting tissue in here with, uh, with Giannis and the Raptors. I mean, they've always... The, Toronto's always seen itself as this uh, um, more of a destination point for international players than American players, and uh, and this definitely would fall in line with that. And there's still, you know, I think until he wins a title in Milwaukee, this question will always be out there of what he's going to do when his contract expires, uh, or until he signs an extension with them. And it's it's just inevitable. I mean, we we dealt with the same thing in. Memphis with uh, Mark's free agent year, even though we knew he was coming back. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I can only imagine what it's like when, when there's more doubt. I and mean, you guys know from like the Bosch situation, this stuff is just always going to be out there until it, uh, until it goes away by him resigning. But I think if he does decide to leave Milwaukee, I think Toronto will be one of the chief you know, destination points for him. And I think the Raptors are aware of that too. What do you make of that quote? Ridiculous timing to be talking about it or something that you are actively thinking about? I've been talking about it. You should look it up. I can't remember if it's been a year or two years that I've put that in, in copy that I've written. Like we often talk about league pass teams in terms of who fan bases should care to watch. And the Hawks are fun. The Suns somehow are fun. Who loves to watch the Mama's Boys in Portland, that great backcourt? If you're a Raptors fan, you should be watching the Milwaukee Bucks and you should be praying to whatever deity you pray to that they do not mess around and win a championship because if they don't, it's in play that Giannis is going to have to go somewhere else to find his championship. And if he does, there are few destinations, if any, that would be better at that time than this one. So it is a real thing. It's been a real thing. for anyone who says that it's not is just foolish. So I'm of two minds on this. One is I'll just get this out of the way, essentially as a caveat, I get that the Raptors are exciting now. And I understand that, well, you and I obviously aren't going to spend the entire next two seasons of this program talking about the hunt for Giannis, but the Raptors just played them. People are talking about it. We're addressing it now. We're not going to be the Lawrence Franks sitting in the stands of every Bucks game, talking about Giannis to the Raptors in 2021. But it is a story right now, and it's one that I think is worth discussing because just like the Kawhi thing with the Lakers and the Clippers, this feels kind of similar where there's a lot of people that have been drawing the Bucks or the Giannis Raptors connection. This isn't just one report from John Hollinger, who you know was in the league for the last five seasons with the Memphis Grizzlies and now is one of the, I don't know, foremost insiders in the game right now. It's being reported by other people that Giannis and the Raptors, there are things that are linking them. And 
I think the easy lines to draw are that it's an international city and that becomes more attractive to an international player like Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's a world-class city. Anybody that comes to Toronto can understand that. But there is a difference in attracting someone who is from Greece than someone who is from California. It's true that you're used to living at home. If you're a guy like Kawhi Leonard, you want to go back home, you spend your off-seasons at home. It's what you know. It's where you'd like to be. You can have the best of both worlds. I think it's different for guys like Giannis. I guess my major question is if you believe, which it seems like we both do, and I think we believe because Masai Ujiri is still the president of the Toronto Raptors and they actually pulled off the Kawhi Leonard trade and they've got a good foundation with a strong, I would say, identity. What do you think is the actual blueprint for getting Giannis Antetokounmpo? Where does it begin? Yeah, I mean, you're not committing any long-term money unless it's for someone who is young. Mm -hmm. But I think... February is going to be interesting in terms of where this team is, what types of needs there are elsewhere for point guards and centers, given the fact that they've got two good ones at both positions. If they're buyers, sellers, or stand pat at the deadline, I came into this season saying if Kawhi's gone, it's a don't pay a cent event. We're selling off everything, making sure that the books are clear in the future. I've now come off that a little bit in saying there's a value to having good relationships with these players and these agents, doing right by them. And in a situation where even if you are in on Giannis, well, I mean, would it be the worst thing in the world if Kyle Lowry comes back? I mean, not at 30 or 31 million, yeah. but at 10 or 15 for another chance to win a ring? Uh, would it be the worst thing in the world if you had Serge Ibaka or Marcus Gasol? Maybe at that point, not as a starter, but off the bench, giving you some veteran presence, some championship pedigree. Again, for a lot cheaper, but for the chance to win, really extend their legacy in the city. Because you know what those three guys have in common? They're respected around the league, and they're good guys to play with. So if I'm Giannis, and I'm trying to f figure out where I want to play and who I want to play with— the money that they're taking up right now, sure, that's an issue. But in terms of the fit, those guys are in play. So I actually think that there's a good chance that they relatively stand pat unless they're blown away. Because, again, that money is coming off the books. And if you want to bring those guys on lower deals and put basically a version of this team with you know some changes around the edges together with Giannis, that sounds pretty good to me. I don't think you need to do anything dramatic in order to lure him in a couple of years because they've already done the work in making sure that their contracts aren't for the next three, four, five years, they're for the next one or two. I agree with everything you just said. This thing has to be very fluid. And I think it's going to be like, you're driving a high performance vehicle here and you're driving it on some pretty tricky roads. And who do you feel better to pilot this thing or to drive this car than Masai Ujiri? And so the handling might be a little finicky, but you trust this driver to handle it well. I think everything's on the table for the right price. Let's put it that way. Like, I don't know if the Raptors have an untouchable player outside of Pascal Siakam. Like genuinely, if the right offer came to you for OG Ananobi, and it gave you financial flexibility or not just financial flexibility, but like draft pick flexibility or player flexibility of a certain right price. 
going into the Giannis year, I don't think that that's a non-starter for this team. They have one untouchable guy in Pascal Siakam. That being said, this is this is my feeling about it. I think you have to try to win all the way up to Giannis. I think you need to try to remain as competitive as possible and only sell off assets if they come back at extreme premium prices for two reasons. One is that I'm starting to really believe player development, the most important thing, even though the Suns are looking good to start the season and they've been crap and it was through opportunity for guys like Devin Booker, that part of the Raptors formula success is allowing guys to grow at their own pace. Like, Pascal Siakam didn't need to be thrown into the fire. OG Ananobi didn't need to be thrown in the fire. They could grow and they could take gradual steps. Even if those steps have been big like Siakam's, they weren't necessary. Both guys started as rookies. Yep, both guys started as rookies. But what was being asked of Pascal Siakam as a starter when he was a rookie? It was, hey, kid, can you please hit this four-foot shot and pass the ball when you touch it? <laughs> like It was run out on the break and try to flush down a dunk for us once in a while. Ultimately, like the responsibility of the players has been pretty low up until last season and this season. Like, wouldn't you agree with that? This is the first time now Siakam's being asked to take a, a big burden of the, the load. What would it have been like if early in his career he would have had to shoulder more offense? Yeah, I mean, they never really drafted in a scenario where you were yep. picking a guy who anyone would expect they would be able to carry an offense. This administration, the only true lottery pick they had was Jakob Pertl. Yeah. But again, they allowed him to come in as a backup. Yes, they did. But I'm now thinking if you were to rank all of the, this last year's too soon, like let's take Derwan Hernandez out of the equation. But if you, if you were to rank the draft picks that Masai Jury has made since coming back to Toronto, you just rank their NBA stock right now. Pertl would have been the highest and I think Bruno might be the worst. Well, Bruno is the worst. All oh, right, Bruno's back I forgot, from the G League. I forgot about Bruno. But yeah. yeah, if you look at it just like where he's found value, I think Masai Jerry has a case in terms of he's been the best drafting general manager in the NBA over the last five seasons. But like, point, to your point, he's internally developed that value. Yeah, he has. And I, I just I like the way that the Raptors are operating things. And I think I mentioned this to you before, but I think this is kind of what you need to be: is the island for misfit toys where guys who have either are redraft candidates like the Stanley Johnsons of the world, they come to Toronto and you try to rehabilitate them. And if you have success on those guys, those are actually the market inefficiencies that you have an edge on. Like, I think there's a reason Terrence Davis came here. In fact, I know there's a reason Terrence Davis came here because well, I've talked to him about it before, but like he signed with the Toronto Raptors. They went out and got him. They were visible to him because Kawhi Leonard was his favorite player, but also he trusted that, Make turning guys like Fred Van Vliet or helping turn Fred Van Vliet into Fred Van Vliet and Norm Powell into Norm Powell, that those things matter to a guy like him. So I think that the sales pitch you have for Giannis starts with not only do we have guys that we've developed in the system, we win. We have a culture where guys come here and they treat it like an NFL team where jobs are up for grabs and you need to be better than the next man up or you might lose a spot. The difference between here in Milwaukee is that the organized, I, the organizational structure is going to be better. What is going to be asked of you is different than here. And we are going to be able to surround you with sustainable pieces that know how to fit around you, like they did for Kawhi Leonard and like they're doing kind of for Pascal Siakam right now. Well, the other difference from here in Milwaukee is that we have the financial flexibility 
to go make some moves. They go so, luxury tax. There's no Malcolm Brogdon thing happening in Toronto. Well, and they just like the Bucks. This is their team for the next two, three, four years. They're all in. They they made their decisions. We're bringing in another Lopez. We're going in on Middleton. We already gave Bledsoe his money, so now he's virtually untradeable. And we're saying goodbye to Brogdon. So this is their group, right? Aside from Davis taking a huge step, like their core isn't... DiVincenzo. Yeah, yeah. White Dante. Their core isn't changing all that much. The Raptors' core could change quite a bit because they have the flexibility in terms of the term of the contracts on their books, but also because of their ability to year in, year out, have their guys internally improve. But I do want to push back on your notion that this can be the island for misfit toys because that hasn't really worked. Like if you look at the, and be hard pressed to find anyone who capes for Masai and Bobby Webster more than me, but if you look at their free agent moves, haven't been good. Like Rondé and Stanley, it's super early, but so far. But that's this ne- year. Negative, yes. Jared Sullinger, no. Damari Carroll, no. CJ Miles, no. Like via free agency, they haven't actually done a great job. What they've done is internally found value and made those guys better. And so all that other stuff didn't really matter. The only person that they've brought in, really, that have made a huge impact were former Spurs. Corey Joseph. And Kawhi Leonard, who was a proven commodity before he got here, which is why, bringing this all back to Giannis, I think luring someone who via free agency is already a proven commodity is so important. Because when you look at that draft class, everyone's saving their money and there's going to be so many people available. How many of them are coming to Toronto? No, low. That's is, what I mean. Is LeBron Giannis, coming to Toronto? Giannis is isn't just the target because he's the best guy. The, the, he's the target because he's the best fit as well. The only realistic fit, like outside of Giannis. Yeah, like Bradley Beal's not coming here. To be honest, the person who they probably have the second best chance in that class of coming here is Kawhi Leonard. Like that's literally the only other option. You don't think after Masai torched Uncle Dennis that that relationship is finito? Uh, He kind of walked it back. (laughs) And I don't think Kawhi is getting push alerts in terms of what's being said in the media. So if people are saying, oh, you're putting too many eggs in the Giannis basket. No, no, no. That's the only basket. No, that's the basket. That's the basket. I agree with you. You do you do whatever it takes to get Giannis. Like whatever the path is to Giannis that they see is best. If they were ever to ask him, here's the thing, what gives us the best odds? You follow that. It's just like people knock the Lakers for not going out and being more aggressive in free agency and, and taking like a D'Angelo Russell, for example, off the board and going out and acquiring a guy like that. Not being more aggressive in terms of pursuing those middle tier free agents who they probably would have had a shot at. They went all in for Kawhi. And guess what? That was the right call. Because if you have a shot at having Kawhi Leonard, Anthony Davis, and LeBron James, you're winning championships. Like, you're locking those in. You're saying the Lakers have one or two. It's not a question of, well, maybe if you have somebody else. Like, you do something later in the season, who cares? Whatever you do, try and get Kawhi Leonard. Duh. You have a chance at him? Hold the horses. Don't make any drastic moves. You wait, you wait, you wait. You're patient, you're patient, you're patient. You do the same thing with Giannis. To me, Island of Misfit Toys still feels like, like I didn't look at Damari Carroll that way. I didn't even look at Corey Joseph that way. Like those are real free agents. Those are guys they actually had to pay a premium for. Like those guys didn't come here for cheaper. What I'm saying is more, let's right, see how- Jared Sollinger didn't work totally. out. Totally. Jared Sollinger did not work out. And, and that, the, and that the like two Misfit Toys guys aren't playing right now. That was the inefficiency of inefficiency. 
I lump in the guys like Fred Van Vliet into that category, the undrafted free agents, the Terrence Davis is into that category, potentially the Matt Thomas is into that category, like guys who are around the fringes that might be able to come here and develop a little bit better. Guys who aren't set pieces like free agents, like Corey Joseph, we knew was already an NBA player. Damari Carroll, we knew was an NBA player. I think I'm, I'm talking about fostering guys that actually have upside where there isn't something that is ironclad. This is who you are already. We're just trying to get a little bit better out of you. And this is why I would say, Keep those pieces around Pascal Siakam because you made a point about the difference between Siakam and Giannis Atenacumbo at this point. And I think it's a salient one. And what's so important for me, I think, is having OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam be their best versions. And I think right now for those guys to still be their best selves, they're better with Marcus Gasol helping their development. They're better with Kyle Lowry being able to take the scoring burden off or facilitate for others right now. The Raptors aren't ready to just be Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, and OG Ananobi and have that look like the best core for Giannis. If you want those guys to take that next step, I think it's important to still have those veterans around. If we were to redraft or change the draft and so that players could choose where they applied their, their trade, like a radical concept, which I don't think is that radical in terms of abolishing the draft in sports and do like a matching situation. So if you're a med student, you rank your options and then the schools rank who they want and then kind of a algorithm figures out, okay, who is best with who? So you really like that situation. They really like you and it may work out. It may not based on the math. If we were to apply that sensibility to sports, well, certainly the Raptors would be in on Giannis. It would make sense, 100%. Yeah, he'd be one. But Giannis would likewise be in on the Raptors. Depending on what census data you look at, there's anywhere from 40 to 60,000 people of Greek descent in Toronto. Never mind Canada, where that number is around 250,000. There is a massive Greek population in this city. And for someone who is a legit international star to come to an international city, Every year, it's between them and the Spurs, the most international team in the league whose family is originally of African descent to play for the first African executive who he watched on HBO Real Sports bring the trophy back to Africa and is crying with his family. Like, you don't think Giannis wants to be a part of that? Theoretically, he would. The thing is, and I, I do think he- That's actually, already set though, right? Like, they, they don't need to change that. Like, we have the Danforth, it's not going anywhere. Correct. And he has the relationship with Masai. Masai helping him get his passport and enter the draft. Like, uh, that is all set. None of that is changing. The thing that will change, and this is what I think people need to watch. There is, like, a boomerang when it comes to stars. I take Giannis at his word. I think he really does want to make it work in Milwaukee and be a one franchise guy that's there, that wins there, does the the Kobe thing, the Curry thing, yep. be there the entire time. Why wouldn't you want that? Yeah, sure. The thing that changes, though, and we saw this with LeBron, saw this with Kevin Durant. Oh, you're a young star. You're up and coming. You, we like you. Oh, you're fighting. You're getting your way to the top. Okay, your MVP status, your best player of the league. Oh, my goodness. Now, the team needs to put stuff around you to win. Pressure's on them. Then all of a sudden it flips. This is just the cycle of sports and, and media and culture. And the questions now are not, well, what do they need to put around you to win? It's, well, why can't Giannis take the next step? Why can't Giannis win? What is he not doing? Why is he not shooting threes better? Why is he not making his teammates better? Is he going to be the greatest ever to never win a ring? Is he going to be 
like Charles Barkley in that conversation, the Dan Marino basketball. And then when players start hearing that, they're like, no, 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 no. I need to take agency over my legacy. So sorry, Milwaukee, you had seven, six, eight years of my life. I'm, I'm moving on because I need to get this ring to change that conversation. Right. If that happens over the next two years, all bets are off. Yeah. And that's what I mean though, is that you still have to present yourself as a championship opportunity. It can't just be geographical location like the Lakers. I think that matters. I think all those things you mentioned count, like being of Nigerian background and connecting with Masai Jerry, that matters. Of having a huge Greek population in Toronto and being able to have more visibility in a Greek community in a place like Toronto, obviously the Milwaukee, that matters. But how the Raptors position themselves to acquire him is what we're about to talk about is duos, man. Guys want to team up with one another and you need to put Pascal Siakam in the best opportunity possible to become a full-blown star. And do you think you know the ceiling of Siakam? He's already surpassed what I thought the ceiling was. So for me to say I know what the ceiling okay. is, is no. But I do think, to your point, I think Giannis right now is a full-blown superstar. Right. I don't think Siakam will get to level. He'll be a great all-star. B plus right. beside an A plus. The game that we saw last week, I, to me, was the difference. Siakam was good. He was, was was plus five, second best on the team, even though they lost. But couldn't stay out of foul trouble. Wasn't really able to impact the game. Giannis took the game over and just physically willed his team to win. And to me, that's the difference between the two. My favorite Giannis plays are when he gets offensive rebounds and he barely jumps and dunks on people. Like when he got that one over Kyle transition and he's just like, all right, I got it back. He's like, oh, you got a transition stop. And then Giannis is like, yeah, but I'm like still right here and I'm just going to flush this thing down. Well, it's just I'm playing basketball with younger kids and I'm just taking over yeah, on the, on the nerf hoop. Like Marcus all you're going to really take a shot at my area. No, you're not. Uh, Bledsoe misses a layup. Okay. I'm just grabbing it. And I don't care if there's three guys around me, I'm just putting it back and dunking. I still like the, the, I think still the best comparison that anyone has ever made to Giannis is Shaq. Like, I still think that he's baby Shaq. He's just so dominant around the rim. He always leads the league in dunks. That's kind of like uh, who he is to me is, is young Shaq. If Shaq and Lamar Odom had a baby, Lamar Odom, it would be Giannis. I mean, if there was ever anybody in the NBA that I didn't think was going to get compared to Giannis today, it was Lamar Odom. Here's the thing. It's good to be compared to Lamar Odom, basketball player. Giannis, don't be, he's Shaq and Lamar Odom had a baby because of off the court stuff once you come to Toronto. That's all. That's all I ask. Let's just keep it that way. We got to take a break. So we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else. And it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox. Sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe and we got you. I want to talk to everybody quickly about the SN Raptors newsletter, because this year there's a weekly newsletter from our NBA editor, Steve Elung. It's original content. It's original opinion. It's original analysis. You can go to sportsnet.ca backslash newsletter, and you can subscribe to that and be a part of it. And I think it's really good. I I think Stevie does a great job. So I I fully endorse it. One thing you'll potentially find in that newsletter if it makes the cut, but one thing you'll see from Stevie is he's churning out a lot of Content as our basketball editor, so shouts to him. He's been doing some nice little recaps of this year podcast. If you happen to miss an episode, 
go to the Google machine, go on Sportsnet. He'll break down what the most pertinent conversation is. Um, and there'll be an embed to the podcast so you can listen right there as well. I was going to say, if you are a... I mean, Donovan will never know of you because he's never going to pay attention to you. But if you are a fan of his who believes that I talk way too much about non-basketball things, Stevie's breakdown never includes any of the stuff I say on the outside. It's all pure show basketball action, baby. That's it. I feel bad for Stevie. He has to scrub through the first <laughs> 3.30 of the podcast. I got a good account. Stevie, let's do another newsletter. Let's talk about like ranking Halloween candies and the stuff that I like to do. What, do you want to work for Deadspin? Not now. <laughs> I mean, I think there's positions available. I think it's not, not too hard, not too hard to get over there right now. All right. Um, I just want to say this quickly because I want to get into duo rankings and you and I want to talk about who we think are the best duos so far. And I think we're going to do as gold, silver, and bronze for who we've been most impressed by. I'll just say this last week. You said you weren't that concerned with Kyle Lauer's minutes. Okay. Yes, that's what correct. I was going to ask you is that like, he's now leading the NBA in minutes still, you know, who's number two, Fred Van Vliet. They're both over, 37.8 minutes for Fred, 38.8 minutes for Kyle. The schedule is one where you could kind of load them up early. I don't think it's going to continue necessarily this way. There's probably going to be a little bit of load management sprinkled in. But for two guys who have dealt with, you know, some injuries over the last couple of years and who are very small, you're still, this is not on your radar up until this point. I guess, when would it be? So in the past, I have been concerned about Kyle Lowry's minutes not just because of the load physically, just because of exposure, exposure to injury. Like it's just, it's basic math. The more minutes you play, the greater likelihood in one of those minutes you can get hurt. He has been injury prone. If he was hurt for an extended period of time, that hurts the overall perspective of the team. So limiting his minutes and limiting his exposure to injury makes sense. And so from that standpoint, with Lowry specifically, I am concerned. But with Fred, not as much. Listen, Fred was banged up all last year, though. He was. But not only are their minutes high, their miles run per game are high. Shout out to RJ Barrett, who leads the league in miles run per game at 2.83. Number two is Fred at 2.8. Number six on the list is Kyle. That's too many running miles for Kyle. At 2.7. I don't want you to be six, Kyle. So first of all, Fred, when this was brought to him this week, said, I can play 48 I'll play 48. He wants the minutes. So he's all about, he's not trying to hear. Uh, do you think Fred Van Vliet's in a contract year? Uh, I would say yes. I, I think he sat in a, at a draft party and was undrafted. And he's like, yeah. I'm not going to tell people that I don't want to play. I want to play as much as possible. But more importantly, what Nick Nurse said to the media about this very topic is why I'm not concerned. He said, you're not doing heavy contact with the guys who are playing heavy minutes and it's true. At this point, those guys don't really need to practice. And I was the first to crush Thibodeau about running his good Bulls team literally into the ground. Like they disintegrated in front of our eyes. All of those guys are now virtually washed, thanks to Tibbs. And his front office was saying, can you please stop doing this? Like we have all of the data. This doesn't make any sense. And he wouldn't listen. But the difference was he was doing two and a half hour practices in between. Nick Nurse is not doing that. So if Kyle Lowry is playing two more minutes per night so they don't lose a lead and they win, I'm fine with that because Kyle Lowry is going to go to the OVO Athletic Center and he's going to be wearing sweatpants and he's going to get the work that he knows he needs to get in. And that's it. And this is a veteran team, again, that got better throughout the playoffs because they were learning and understanding each other with a bunch of new faces. 
and playing together. Now with so many faces back, they don't really need to practice that much. So listen, Uncle Alex, it's not just good with shoestring. Think about all the things that are being measured. Mm -hmm. Their red blood cells are being measured. Their body mass density is being measured. The amount of oxygen that it's going through their body is being measured. How they respond from getting off a plane and practice the next day is being measured. These guys are being so closely watched. We know they're not going to push them past that red line because Kawhi never, ever, ever played when they were, was even close. So I trust that their medical staff, which they've invested lots of money in over the last five years, is watching these guys and saying, yeah, no, they're good. Just don't run them during practice and make them do suicides and wind sprints. And Nick Nurse is like, yeah, I'm fine with that. So that's why it's not concerning because they have a vested interest in getting them through the season. I disagree. I don't want to put my two diminutive point guards on the floor for four minutes a night. And I would say that even if it means in between, they're not they're not doing anything in practice other than the work they need to do. Yeah, I just don't know what they're actually doing in practice. And like, I trust Alex McKechnie. You're dead right. That was the way to sell me on this is you were like, Uncle Alex has it all figured out. And I was like, yep, you know what? I'm not going to question him. So who am I to say that? I think we've seen with Kyle Lowry that he wears down when he has too much on his plate. And to me right now, he's got too much on his plate. And with Fred, I want Fred to be the guy who had one season where he's banged up, not the guy who's banged up all the time. I have my concerns about it. I, it's not something that I'm freaking out about right now because it's too early into the season, but it's definitely something I have flagged. And I would say that my one problem with this Raptors roster is, well, two. One is that there's no Kawhi because I still miss Kawhi. But two is they didn't go out and get a backup point guard. I think that they fell in love a little bit too much with Pat McCaw. And maybe there's more to Patrick McCaw than... Out indefinitely right now. I, knee injury. I, and I don't see what they see when it comes to Pat McCaw. Like, he's just one of those dudes where they think he can be a backup point guard, and I trust Nurse, and I trust Masai, and, you know, he was someone that was intriguing to me coming out of the draft, but I just don't see how he's going to be a backup point guard. I think it's too much responsibility for Terrence Davis, and I think this the other solution of, well, Siakam can be your point guard for minutes is like, that's nice, that's a thing you can go to, but I generally think you still need a point guard. It's something that this team's going to add. You want to do duos? Sure. Or you got anything else on this? Here's the other thing. Would you rather those guys play five minutes less a night and this team lose games? No. Because that's, that, that's on the table. The bottom line is they're not good enough for those guys not right, to play. But I'm saying that's an issue. Is that That's because that's a depth issue. Is that the depth? You, you already mentioned it. It's like they don't trust two of the free agents they brought in. They're never playing Matt Thomas. Terrence Davis is being very, very, like he's being very eased into this rotation. Right now they're playing it really tight. I wonder when that's going to start to expand. If we're going to see other things. It's just that... Every position I can see backups at, every position I can even talk myself into a Chris Boucher lightening the load for a Pascal Siakam or for a Serge Ibaka, the place I don't see it is point guard. Like, I, they just don't have anything there. But I also think Fred has played so well that they were forced to play the two of them together. That's what I mean. Like, and he's played himself into more minutes. And for a guy that you would like to come back here, and he went on to him and said, and said, I would like to come back. You want to reward the fact that he's earning minutes. I know. I think they're in a rock and a hard place where their best starting five is clearly them, that Kyle and Fred work well together. But that eventually, maybe, just maybe, they might have to move Fred back to the bench to, to keep them both alive and move someone else into that starting two position. Duo rankings, gold, silver, bronze. Like the way that I ranked mine was based on this season and what we've seen alone. So for example, I don't have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on my list. Is that how you did it as well? Correct. I did it based on who I like, who I've been most impressed by, and who have been the best two together. I would like to start this by saying dead last in duos for me is Russell Westbrook and James Harden. 
Uh, agreed. Why? <laughs> okay, good. Because it's like their numbers suggest that they should be in this group. But if you're paying any attention, Russell Westbrook was a minus 46 the other day. And I don't put a lot of stock in a plus minus. But when you're minus 46, it feels like something I should red flag. Do you want to see how we match up with this thing and see disagreements? Do you want to go first? How do you want to do it? You can go first. Yeah, I, to me, the, the, I mean, number again, one is it's, obvious. It's, it's super early in the season, but every thing we heard about the Rockets was, man, those guys play so hard. They take the regular season so serious. They don't take no games off. So they are going to be amazing in the regular season. Bet the over in the regular season. Then we'll see what happens in the playoffs. It hasn't been that great in the regular season. Like, it hasn't been terrible, but right now they're four and three. I would say 150 points and 62% shooting to the Washington Wizards is horrible. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty horrible. As far as horrible things go, that's just about as bad as it gets. Not, not good. I think our number ones are consensus. AD and Braun. Correct. It's very clear that these guys spent a lot of time playing together this summer. No? Like, they have immediate chemistry that I think extends beyond just two guys who fit well together. Yeah. Then part of the same agency. AD looked up to Braun as a kid. That's why he wore the number 23. So, yeah. But I think they're also just two like really, really easy guys to play with. To complement each other. Yeah. Like, that is just a natural compliment. I, I, they've been so impressive. AD just got named Player of the Week. It's obviously a home run signing. Who didn't think that that was going to be good? And I think that... If you're looking back at last season and how disaster it was from the Anthony Davis PR perspective of it, just, you know, him showing up in the that's all folks and the way he really wanted to get out of town, the questions about how good he was, his teammate. You mentioned it earlier with the honest thing, right? Is that the legacy starts getting taken out of your own hands and, and about others around you and it becomes about you. We were doing that with Anthony Davis last year. It was are we sure Anthony Davis is that good if he's only won one playoff series? Are we sure Anthony Davis is that good if he quits on his own team? And I think that going and playing with LeBron James, it's validating his whole thing because it's you see how good he can be with just a star next to him. And I know LeBron's one of the best in the league, but they're perfect together. And now I think this is going to completely change the way that we talk about Anthony Davis for the next decade. D'Angelo Russell said about playing them, it's like playing against a fantasy team. And it's kind of true. Like they're are very few situations where the top five guys in the league, two of them are on the same team. And you could legitimately say that for both of them, the best teammate they've ever had is the other guy. Like Anthony Davis right now yeah, is no question. better than Dwayne Wade was when LeBron went to the Heat. Hmm. Anthony I love, Davis I love Dwayne be, Wade. That's is, hard for me to Anthony say. Anthony Davis is the first... Team All NBA and no, Dwayne Wade right. wasn't. No, you're right. Here's the thing. It just it it just you're right. You're right, and it hurts me to say it because I've not been an Anthony Davis fan, and I love Dwayne Wade. I love Flash, but it's you're right. Um, my number two, my number my silver medal goes to the guys that it took Danny Green hitting a miraculous three for the Lakers in order for them to beat them in overtime. You see that corner three? You're out partying on Halloween. So uh, he's hit a couple big corner threes. He hit a corner three to tie the game against the Dallas Mavericks and send it into overtime. Buzzer beater. This is ridiculous. What? That's my number two as well. The Mavericks? Yes. How could it not be? Well, because no one coming into this year really put them in the duos conversation because it was done last year around the trade deadline. They, like People were talking about, ooh, the Jazz have this new duo. Ooh, the Blazers, their duos still together. Did anyone think Mike Conley was, was going to be Mike Conley and or that it was always going to be Rudy Gobert? Because Mike Conley, if we're putting him in the duos rankings right now, is like, well, Rudy Gobert he's behind Stanley before. Johnson and Matt Thomas. <laughs> That's a really tough start to the year for, for my guy, Mike Conley. 
these two guys are combining for more points than any of the duos other than LeBron and AD. And the two guys in Houston that we mentioned are basically filling up on empty calories. It looks real. And speaking of chemistry, like they just play off each other extremely well. Luka Doncic, is it a stretch to already say that he's going to be in the MVP conversation at the end of the year? Like the way that he looks and the way that he's playing? Like this feels very sustainable. It's not a stretch, but it's also not a stretch to say that the Hawks may have won that trade. Because mm. Luca is good, but he's not that much better than Trey Young. And they got Trey Young plus. Trey Young's pretty damn good. Yeah, but I don't think Trey Young's ever going to win an MVP. And I think Luka Doncic is going to. And I think basketball is just a sport where if you get the best player and he can win an MVP and he can be the best player on a title team, you do that. And that's the thing about Doncic is like Doncic is what does Trey Young do better than Doncic other than shoot? I would say nothing like Doncic is averaging 11 assists right now. He's a better playmaker. He's a better defender. He's better at getting to the basket. He draws more fouls. Like he's just a more complete player. And I think that the Knicks have to be looking at this and their fan base should be saying, why aren't the Knicks holding a media conference every day, apologizing for the Chris Stapps trade? Because they gave him away for cap space to get off the Tim Hardaway Jr. contract and some draft picks. They thought they were going to be signing Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. They end up signing Julius Randle, who's actually been okay to start the year. But you know who Luka Doncic, or who reminds me a little bit of young Luka Doncic? RJ Barrett. They actually play a pretty similar game. Like there's a lot of comparisons that you can draw between those two guys. Lefties. And all I can think of when I watch Luka Doncic is, holy crap, R.J. Barrett and Kristaps Porzingis would have been a real thing. We might be his sitting here doing duo rankings, rookie duo ranking, number one, R.J. Barrett with Kristaps Porzingis. And instead, the Knicks gave him away for nothing because of hubris, because they think they're New York and they think they're going to get everybody, even though they have no plan, horrible ownership, and they've been losers for more than a decade. So They also really like Kevin Knox. Great. I like Kevin Knox too. You know who Kevin Knox is never going to be as good as? Kristaps Porzingis. Fact. Yeah, I mean, there's also part of the equation that you know who is not going to resign there? Kristaps Porzingis. Probably not. So, but what'd you get back? Some Dallas picks that are going to be in the 20s and you don't have to pay Tim Hardaway Jr., I guess. Like that's good. I will say that's the most frustrating thing about watching Mavericks games is there are those few possessions a night where Tim Hardaway Jr. is just like, I don't care how good Doncic is or how good Kristaps is. I'm just going to fire away. I'm just going to come down the floor and, and jack up a pull-up three and, and clang it and have us lose in transition. I don't care. I'm Tim Hardaway Jr. So yeah, that's my number. That's my silver. Uh, Doncic just unbelievable right now. Body looks good. Everything like that. Number three. I think this is where we diverge. Maybe. Go ahead. My number three is Siakam and Lowry. Friggin' hell. Really? That's mine as well. Okay. I just don't know how they're not the third most impressive duo to start. Like Kyle Lowry's off to the best start of his career. And that's without having a training camp and with having a, uh, a wonky injury to start things. He's red hot. Like he took over that Milwaukee game in a way that was, I didn't know Kyle Lowry still had that left in the tank. I knew he could get hot, but that was just like full Kalo in every regard where the team sucks around him, isn't doing anything, can't buy a basket. And the guy just says, don't worry, I'm going to put my, my team on my back against one of the best defenses in the NBA, one of the best teams against the NBA, bring us back from down 26 and make this a ball game. And Siakam, I think right now is the front runner for most improved player of the year for the second time in a row. Like who's shown more. I know they're not, but I'm just saying who's shown more than Pascal Siakam through the first five games of the season in terms of, oh my God, this guy has another level. I would say like maybe Carl Anthony Towns before he was fighting with guys. OG Ananobi. OG Ananobi has been good, but above the break, pull up threes. 
and getting to the basket and not fearing whatever's there is a new Pascal Siakam. So they're in my number three. They're yeah. yours as well. Uh, nice. No they're mine as well. I mean, they're, they're combining for, for 50 points and playing, you know, all defense level defense. My, my honorable mention would go to uh, Tatum and uh, Kemba in Boston. They've had a nice start. But uh, but yeah, we we're we're chalk on the on the top three, which I did not expect actually. The Kemba thing that I'm I'm struggling with is like he's played well, and Tatum has clearly taken a little bit of a leap. But it's just so clear how much. It's like this is the real test of how much chemistry matters because he's so not ta- as talented as Kyrie. Like you don't watch those games and fear Kemba Walker the same way you fear Kyrie Irving at the end of a shot clock. True, but I I, I don't know. Talking about empty calories, I don't know how often Kyrie Irving makes others better. Kyrie Irving, his best placement was in Cleveland beside LeBron James because LeBron could make everybody else better. And then if you needed a late bucket, you could just swing it to Kyrie and he could end the finals for you. But as the lead dog, I mean, I think we're going to soon look at Kyrie the way we now look at Westbrook. Mm. Almost given us the let's wrap it up. So I think we should. We should. We will wrap up the video portion of the pod. <laughs> but there you go, Mr. Pro. If you, I, if I you need forgotten. more pod. They told me like eight times before it started, do this. And I was like, uh-huh. <laughs> so here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap up the video portion of the pod, but we are going to catch up with Muggsy Bogues. Mm-hmm. So for that, make sure you like, listen, subscribe. The audio version of that conversation about what he's doing right now and about the last 25 years of Raptors basketball will be on the feed. Listen, you should be listening via iTunes anyways, so... Uh, or wherever you get your podcast. And if you are listening from iTunes, leave a little five-star review, subscribe, and leave me a comment. Because I'll read the comments, I'll check it out, and then I'll relay them to Donovan and tell them exactly what they are. I'm, You know what? I'm going to start reading the comments on the show to you. That's the only way that I can promise that you'll listen to them. You want our fans, the good, the, the, the associates, to just throw their opinions about the show into the void when they're positive, when they're trying to gas you up? I just want them to share and listen. We don't get paid off comments. There's no metric that says comments. I get benefit a metric. Us. Confidence metrics okay. in my heart. I love you, good associates. You are the best. Um, so, yeah, coming up on the podcast portion, Muggsy Bogues. So, we've got some new things for you this NBA season. And no, it's not just Terrence Davis playing so well. We have a newsletter that will break that down and so much more. Our weekly newsletter from NBA editor Stephen Leung. It gives you original content, opinion, analysis. You can't find it anywhere else, and it is delivered directly to you right in your inbox, sportsnet.ca slash newsletters. Just subscribe, and we got you. Team on Elijah back out to Kenny Thomas. Kenny all the way in. And now on the line, joining us on Free Association is Raptors' favorite Raptors alumni, Muggsy Bogues. Muggsy, thank you so much for doing this. And you were part of the team once again, doing some work with GoDaddy. How did the relationship and the partnership come about? Well, the relationship and partnership came about, you know, the GoDaddy is working on a campaign with the Raptors. 
And, uh, you know, we kind of did some brainstorm and we wanted to do something fun. I came up with a book called The Rap Tale. And it was a, a, a match made in heaven. You know, GoDaddy is, is a company that empowers uh, entrepreneurs like myself, as well as small business owners with the tools to you know, expand your, your presence online. So I'm, I'm truly excited to be partnering with them. And it's, it's such a, a great match. What's it like for you? This team just came off winning a championship. They've come a long way since you were here as a player. But still, when you come back to the city, you are like a favorite son and the fan base still relates to you so well so much that you are in partnerships like that how does that make you feel uh, it makes you feel good you know knowing that you had you know your time your tenure here that was positive you know you made some good friends and uh, some good folks on and off the court but uh it's great to see the team doing well you know accomplish the goals that they set out to do and, and here it is the ultimate goal is you know winning the championship in 2019 so it's good to always come back to the city. So I think the question everybody wants to know is that when GoDaddy pitches you and you are affiliated with the Raptors, is there a disclaimer about the curse? Like, did they come to you and say, Muggsy, we want to have you a part of the team, but we wouldn't feel right if we didn't at least give you a warning? You know, like, was there a little old lady who told you essentially, like, beware, that's not what it seems. Or was it just all above board? How does that, how does the curse disclaimer work behind the scenes at GoDaddy? Well, of course, I, I heard about the curse. And, you know, it's, it's simply just, you know, plain fun. You know, I can't be excited enough to be partnering with GoDaddy. You know, as I said earlier, you know, it's a company that empowers, you know, entrepreneurs as well as small business owners, you know, expanding their brand online, giving them more visibility as well as opportunity to propel their venture. So I'm just so excited to be partnering with them. So I encourage every small business owner, every entrepreneur to go out there and create a website. No, listen, the Godia Eddie curse doesn't apply to people who use the website. It's just the people who have endorsed it. So you're the one who incurred all the risk. You're the one who's going to have the, you know, the old man in the trench coat show up at your door in the middle of a rainstorm and tell you that you should be looking out. And that's it, man, is athletes are superstitious. Like, we know this. We know guys with their routines. We know how it just, it, it operates this way. And you can't tell me that it's Halloween. You sign this deal with GoDaddy. Maybe Muggsy Bogues is like, I'm not going out tonight. I'm just going to stay in my bed and, and watch some Netflix. Well, you know, curses have meant to be broken. Okay. So I, I could be that one. You know, I could be that one. So, uh, you know, I understand, you know, what's been had and all happened in the past. But again... It's new days, great days. We got a rap tail on the on the horizon. Mm-hmm. So everybody could go to raptail.ca to, to pick it up and uh, and then know that the curse has been broken. I like the confidence. Spoken <laughs> like a true athlete. I, I love it too. So I want to talk to you, and you talked about you know having some business interests and doing some things on the side. It seems like this Raptors team, every member of the team has side businesses and are entrepreneurs in their own right. And there's no better example than Fred Van Bleet. He's got his own line, bet on yourself, and his game, given his size, is somewhat similar to you at the point guard position. He and Kyle Lowry are in the top five in minutes this year. If you were to give him a word of advice on how to last as a smaller guard, physically, what would you say? Well, for one, take care of your body. You know, stay healthy. During the offseason, you got to make sure that you do the things that's necessary to keep your body, you know, strong. But you also got to make sure you, you give it time to rest. Uh, Van Fleet has really, you know, exceeded more than what anybody ever thought he would. 
and he's doing it the right way. I mean, he's a great kid um, on and off the floor. He's a father. I mean, he's a great teammate. I'm quite sure the guys like being around him. And he's just marking his brand. You know, today's day, you are your own brand. And having understanding of that, you just try to, you know, allow yourself with more resources as possible. You know, and that's what it is. And that's why I partner with GoDaddy because of the resources and the visibility that it can allow my, you know, company online. So um, Van Fleet is no different. One of the most divisive issues among the fan base right now, and we talked about it earlier on the podcast, is the amount of minutes the starters are playing. We are in an era of load management, something that was coined in this city with Kawhi Leonard. Now, a lot of the alumni are saying there was no load management when we played. We played 82 nights, giving people what they wanted. When you see players strategically rested as a former player, how do you react? And that's what I was about to, you know, address. I mean, again, we didn't rest back then. We didn't have that terminology, you know, resting back in those days. You know, but times are different. The organizations are different. The way they kind of prepare the players and how training camp and all that is totally different. So it's a new era now. You know, that's part of the the philosophy, resting players. And, but I don't believe in it, but that's where the lead is going. And, you know, some fans get, at this point because they don't get an opportunity to see that that player that they probably, you know, enjoy watching when they come in and possibly may only come in at one time during that year. So it could be a little uh, disgenuous to the fan, but players got to do what they got to do, and I guess the organization feel like they got to do it the same. The franchise is 25 years, which makes me feel old. When you look at the ascension of the sport in Canada and the franchise as a whole, What's the biggest difference do you see in the game now in Canada relative to when you played? Well, they're more educated. You know, they're more knowledgeable about the game. You know, early on, you know, it was just, you know, they have to have a team. Of course, you came across, you know, a superstar within the events and Tracy McGrady, but they were young at the time. Um, so they were just really getting introduced. But then over the years, they got the taste, they got the bug, and, you know, they got the, the knowledge of, uh, what basketball means and what winning is, and they wanted to be part of it. And they became just like any other fans, you know, want their franchise to win and didn't want to take any shortcuts. But And they was patient enough 25 years. And, you know, at the fruit of the, I mean, at the end of the day, you got a championship to, to hold up in the wrap. Well, man, it's been, I think, 19 years or 18 years since you played with the Toronto Raptors. And yet you are still someone who is linked to this franchise. And I wonder why you have stayed this way or how you've maintained your relationship with this city and this franchise. Well, you know, the, the franchise I was able to, to play for, you know, fortunate enough for me, I was able to, to make some good relationships on and off the court uh, in the cities that I was able to play in and, Toronto is no different. You know, I was able to, to build some good relationships here. You know, we had good success, you know, while we was here. And we didn't reach the pinnacle, but we was able to, to get it started. And, uh, and I always loved the city. I always loved the, the, the people here and I always continue to come back. So I never felt like, you know, a stranger when I left. Vince is now an opponent when he comes back. He is still playing Muggsy, and he played with you. He's playing against guys who weren't born when he started playing. I know he was an athletic freak in terms of going and getting lobs when you played with him, but he's showing to be an athletic freak in a total different way now. 
Well, it's, it's been Sandy in another in another way. <laughs> That's what it is. You know, it's insane that he's still playing 23 years in the making. Uh, but, you know, that's a testament of him, you know, taking care of his body, uh, understanding what he needs to do. His mind is, is in a great place, you know, never became bigger than the game. Um, he's accept who he is, accept his role and, and what he has to offer. And a lot of the kids in Atlanta are really benefiting from it. And, uh, and I'm so proud of that. So there's another divisive issue among Raptors fans that we need you to settle. 25 years, so what we do, we count down the greatest Raptors of all time. So I'm not going to lead the witness and give you any names, but for you, the greatest Raptors player of all time is who? The greatest Raptor player of all time? I mean, there's only but one. I mean, that's Vince. I mean, Kawhi, you put Kawhi, he won the championship, but he won Toronto's greatest player ever. You know, Vince, I think, holds that standard longer than anybody you know the closest thing you had Stoudemire and Bosch but I don't think anybody could touch what Vince did here in Toronto well and if you said anything different besides, besides the championship besides uh-huh. quite not win the championship right and if you said anything different Vince would probably have words for you next time he <laughs> saw you so yeah side with the people you know <laughs> best well, no, it ain't, it ain't about Vince. You know, if it wasn't Vince, I would say it wasn't Vince. But, you know, hey, you got to give credit to where credit is. There you go. Well, we have to give credit to you. <laughs> Left it all on the floor, and now you're still tied to the franchise and a member of the alumni. Break the uh, curse. That, that Raptors fans are really, really excited to see when you come through the city. Thank you so much for spending the time. All the best. Uh, thanks, guy. I appreciate you. See you, Muggsy. Okay. I think something in that interview that you reminded me of is talking about Fred Van Vliet and, and a lot of these athletes being branded and having a ton of outside interests or business opportunities. Like, I don't know how the machinations worked with the GoDaddy sponsorship, but historically it has been a guy that's on the team, right? And what do you think is more likely that those guys are so committed to so many things and their prices have gone up with the championship or they believe in the curse and they don't want anything to do with GoDaddy. It's, no. Yeah. The numbers have gone up and just the asks have gone up. So I did an interview with Fred Van Vliet, which will come out soon. You'll hear probably some of it in this very space. He did a deal with American Express. I yeah. did an interview yesterday with Norman Powell, who did a deal with LG. And I asked them both, Fred Van Vliet, you were undrafted. Norman Powell, you fell to the second round. You were about to leave your own draft party when you heard the Bucks were taking you which was sweet. Oh, then they're trading you, which is sour, but then you land in a good spot. Your career started with people not wanting you. Mm -hmm. And now all of a sudden, all of these brands want to be tied to you. Do you feel any type of way about it? And they're like, yeah, we need to capitalize now because we know the other side of it. So Fred Van Vliet, who has a deal with Roots and American Express and Jif Peanut Butter and Land Rover. I'm probably, I'm forgetting a bunch. Pascal Siakam has his own line. Norm has understand the grind. Like this is a team of entrepreneurs who are all like, this is our moment. Let's cash in right now. Mafuzi chef's show is not just on his own YouTube anymore. (laughs) It's on bleacher report. Yeah. Like this is where we are and like all power to them. We are in the athlete empowerment era. So you need to charge when you are a hot commodity in this team. They're hot commodities right now. So I agree with everything about that. Like, if you can go get paid, you go get paid. And you strike while the iron's hot. All those things are true. And athletes have 
while they still are paid a lot for their on-court productivity, if you have an opportunity like some of these guys have, like Norm Powell being the eighth man on an NBA team, but being a valuable, valuable marketing commodity, of course you take advantage of that. No one will, no one will ever begrudge you for it. I have been thinking lately, though, and I was talking yesterday about Sidney Crosby and with Dave Damashek, and I mentioned that one of the things that I think as people turned around on how they feel about Sid over the years is not just the lasting excellence. It's not just the golden goal. It's also that he feels like a throwback now as a guy who, of course, he has ads, but what do you think Sidney Crosby cares about? Like the only thing he really cares about it's hockey, right? Mm-hmm. And how many athletes do we see like that now? It really does feel like there's an evolution of guys don't want to be one thing anymore. And I, I think that's, that applies to everything we do. Like, do we want to be one thing? No, we want to be cross-platform, right? It's intriguing to be more than just one thing. And I don't think guys like to be defined as just basketball players anymore. Like, I think that they like being entrepreneurs. They like having clothing lines. They like being visible in ad spaces. And maybe this is too long of a conversation to have, but I wonder how that overall is going to impact the future of the sport. Well, I think what guys are realizing are if you don't just want to be rich. If you want to be wealthy, mm-hmm. it comes from that other stuff. Because that other right. stuff continues, and Muggsy's a great example, mm-hmm. after you're done playing. That's what I mean. Those you're, will be there for some of those guys, right? Like Fred Van Vliet's still going to be able to make money in Toronto in advertising 20 years from now. Yeah, I mean, but guys who didn't even play for the city, how many times a year are NBA legends brought up here by NBA Canada to mm-hmm. do an event or do a Q&A or open a court, like all of the time. Mm-hmm. And, and so, like Jordan changed it where guys are like, oh, we can make some real money while we play that's not just from our teams? Cool. Now we're seeing an era where guys are making money after their careers and it's not doing 82 nights of color for the local Charlotte you know, affiliate if you're Del Curry. But during, do you think there are drawbacks? Like during, do you wonder if guys care as much about winning championships and being great basketball players or if they're equally as concerned about being great businessmen and and great entrepreneurs and whether or not ultimately that it might have a enduring effect of damaging the product? Well, that's the balance, right? You got to keep the main thing, the main thing, or else if you're not playing well, nobody's going to want to partner with you. And I, I actually talked to Fred about that. He had a clothing line before he had a full contract, like better than yourself was early. And I said, where where was the audacity for you to have your own line before you had a spot in the rotation? And he said, well, I had to because no one else was willing to give me a deal back then. I didn't have Mm. a deal with Nike or Under Armour Adidas. So I had to literally clothe myself. So that is the challenge. Uh, I, I say this quote all the time, but Vander Holyfield often said it's hard to get up and train when you're sleeping on satin sheets. So now that you've won a championship and you've got all this attention, well, Norm Powell on his off day spent an entire day shooting stuff for LG, where two years ago on his off day, he would be getting treatment or getting right. shots up. So I'm saying. Where you have to make that up and balance it somehow. So that's the the evolution for these guys and the and the balance. But I mean LeBron has figured out a way to do it. Yeah, but he's also LeBron. (laughs) He's LeBron James. I would say the toughest thing for Fred Van Vliet moving forward is that as he gets better and better, and if he wins a six-man award, and now that he's got courts with his logo on them, he's one of the more celebrated returning Chicago guys that, that we have, or Illinois guys that we have in the NBA. 
that chip on your shoulder. He's going to have to start becoming like Richard Sherman, just, you know, making up making fake. Up, yeah, yeah, he's going to have to have all of a sudden fake adversaries everywhere. Nobody believes in me. Nobody thinks I can do it. It's like, no, Fred, they gave you the six-man award. They, everyone thinks you can do it. Although I guess the six-man's out for him well, as look, of right now. Look at Michael Jordan's Hall of Fame speech, right? right. The, the, the Jordan one fearless pack came out, which is an ode to how fearless he was just giving it to everybody ripping his high school teammate who made the team that's brandon so fearless but even on his exit when Mm. he was being honored as one of the greats he still had that chip on his shoulder so yeah i think those guys are literally just cut from a different cloth that way i love that satin sheen's line uh i also love it when you subscribe to this podcast when you leave a review when you share it on twitter or wherever you find this podcast and we would appreciate it i think that's a wrap for this week thanks for everybody for listening uh this is free association with jd bunkus and donovan bennett we'll catch you next week